You are listening to episode 175 of the Master Your Mind, Business, and Life podcast. Today's guest may be one of the most intelligent, amazingly pure-hearted humans I have spoken to, and I don't say this lightly. Dr. Dawson Church is an award-winning science writer with three best-selling books to his credit. The Genie in Your Genes was the first book to demonstrate that emotions drive gene expression. Mind to Matter showed that the brain creates much of what we think of as objective reality. And Bliss Brain demonstrates that peak mental states rapidly remodel the brain for happiness. He has conducted dozens of clinical trials and founded the National Institute for Integrated Healthcare to promote groundbreaking new treatments. He shares how to apply breakthroughs of energy psychology to health and personal performance through EFT Universe, one of the largest alternative medicine sites on the web. Honestly, that brief bio for Dawson really just scratches the surface, but I know you're going to learn so much more through our conversation as we discuss meditation, EFT, the brain, the state of flow, and so much more. Before I introduce you to Dawson, a quick reminder that this week is Podcast Wellness Week presented by Podbean. Join me live tomorrow, December 3rd for the Body Love Panel, ditching diet culture, restriction, and unconditionally loving our physical selves to thrive. I'm leading this conversation with best-selling author and blogger Stacey Toth of the Whole View Podcast, intuitive eating counselor and co-founder of the Body Love Society, Jenna Free, and certified international health coach, Kayla Nesta of the Wellness Glow Up podcast. Together, we'll dive into the relationships we have with our physical bodies, how society at large shapes our self-image, and how we can learn to love ourselves even more. You can join me for this conversation live for free tomorrow at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific by downloading the Podbeam app, or you can listen anytime by scoring a ticket to Podcast Wellness Week by using the link found on my website, mindbizlife.com. Of course, before we can focus on tomorrow, we must remain focused on the present, and that means today's conversation. Are you ready to meet Dr. Dawson Church? You know what to do. Tune in, turn it up, let's go. You're listening to Master Your Mind, Business and Life. Conversations with everyday world shifters, truth seekers, and rule breakers. Here's your host, Lauren Smith. I am so excited and pleased to introduce this week's guest, Dr. Dawson Church. Dawson, welcome to the show and thank you for joining me today. Lauren, it's a genuine pleasure to be here. Thank you. Oh, I have so many questions for you because you have led an epic career. But before we get into those questions, I'm curious to know, was a career in health, psychology, and even spirituality always part of your chosen path? Is this what young Dawson set out to accomplish after high school? Young Dawson set out to become at least marginally less miserable than he was. <laughs> and in my book, Bliss Brain, I talk about one moment that was really central in my life. I was 15 years old and I was walking through a hotel hallway where they had a full length mirror and I hadn't seen one before. I just was kind of a new thing in the 60s. And so I saw this full-length mirror and I turned and stared at my own reflection for a long time. I looked at my, my blue jeans, looked at the bag of books slung over my shoulder, my really long hair. And as I looked into my own eyes, Lauren, these words flashed into my mind. That's the saddest face I've 
ever seen. Mm. I realized I was so messed up. I was. I, I. I now realize I had all the symptoms of PTSD, flashbacks and nightmares and hypervigilance and avoidance and so on, depression, anxiety. And so I went and lived on a spiritual community and lived there on and off for many, many years. I also enrolled for psychology classes, mail order psychology classes at a university and really wanted to rescue myself, just get less upset, mm -hmm. uh, less stressed than I was. And bit by bit by bit, I, I, mean, I learned a lot. I, I learned the, what, what Aldous Huxley calls the perennial philosophy behind all religions. I learned to meditate. I learned energy healing. And I got a little bit less unhappy over the years, but I never was by any stretch of the imagination a happy person. And then when I made the commitment to meditating daily, and that was about 20 years ago, suddenly that was the huge pivot point of my life. And when I did that, everything began to change in a way in which just being involved in regular talk therapy psychology and being involved in conventional spirituality and meditation had never done that. When I made that that commitment, and I I, I, you know, I learned heart math, I learned EFT tapping, I learned mindfulness. I, I began to put all these things together in a, in a meditation routine that really worked for me. And suddenly everything shifted. But it, it all began from just being so unhappy and wanting to fix Dawson Church. Wow! And the fact that you were self aware at that. 15 years old. Like there's a lot of people who don't get to that point in life until they're 30, 40, 50 beyond, you know? So 15, I feel like that that's pretty big. Well, it also took me a long time to get here. In chapter one of my book, This Brain, I have a section near the end of the first chapter called From 50 Years to 50 Seconds. And mm. what I, I picked 50 seconds because we did a retreat at the end of 2019 and early 2020. We often do these seven day retreats for people at the cusp of the new year. And they really go deep. We have them hooked up to EEGs. We study their brain waves. We train them in the brainwave patterns of a Zen master. And we spend seven days doing this. And by the end of that time, when we hook them up again to the EEG after seven days, they're able to acquire those brainwaves of a mystic, of a Tibetan monk, wow. really, really quickly. And our champion last this last time round was one of the women there. And in 47 seconds, she sat down, closed her eyes, went into meditation. Under one minute later, 40 seconds, 47 seconds later, she was in a full-blown mystical EEG pattern in her brain. And we aren't asking people for their experiences here subjectively, we're measuring them objectively. And so this stuff took me 50 years to figure out and took me a long, long time and lots of study and doing, I've been involved with over hundred clinical trials and written several textbooks as well as science, popular science books. It's, it's been a long ro road for me, 50 years figuring this out, but, now we can sit people down, have them do a very, very brief series of meditations, give them some, some extremely specific instructions, and in under a minute sometimes, they're having this full-blown mystical experience. So that's where what, what science, the huge gift science has given us, is, is, is understanding these states and now guiding people to acquire them quickly. Wow. Oh my goodness. I feel like there's so much to unpack in this. Where do I begin? Okay. Well, let's start with some, <laughs> let's start with some of the modalities that you have outlined, because I think 
Um, EFT, I know it's been discussed on, I'm, well, it's been brought up on the show before, but it hasn't been discussed at length. So let's start with that. What is EFT and how does it work? EFT is short for emotional freedom techniques. And it's often called tapping because it involves tapping with your fingertips on your acupuncture meridian endpoints. And so we have these flows of energy through our bodies. They're very easy to measure now with modern scientific instrumentation. We literally measure these energy flows. And rather than using acupuncture and needles, we use acupressure and fingertip tapping to stimulate those points. And what it does is it very rapidly calms the emotional part of the brain. And that, that's, it's the limbic system, it's also called the midbrain, and it has these structures like the hippocampus, the amygdala, the thymus. And so all of these are to do with learning, memory, habit, and emotion. And when people are upset, just for example, in our nonprofit now, we have, we have a company that trains people in how to apply these, these techniques in their life. We also have a nonprofit that offers these therapies to veterans free of charge. Mm. And we've now worked with over 21,000 veterans over the last 12 wow. years. And so we've done these clinical trials and some of them have involved hooking veterans up to MRIs or EEGs. And that emotional midbrain is highly active when somebody's having a flashback or remembering a traumatic event. Mm. So you remember the bad stuff of your past. And when you do that, again, it triggers this emotional midbrain to be highly active. And you see it light up, it's red on an MRI, highly active, a lot of activity in the midbrain. When you tap, it's absolutely remarkable what happens to, to people's brains. All that red just goes away. And so it, that tapping provides a very powerful physical somatic signal to the brain that you're safe. So now rather than the person having this memory of say the roadside bomb in Afghanistan or the car crash or the divorce or the terrible tragic loss of some big part of them, their, their lives, when they think of that thing, rather than the emotional midbrain getting all lit up and staying lit up and you feeling terrible for a long time, what now happens is you light up the emotional midbrain, you see that all, all highly aroused on the MRI or EEG, then when the people tap, it's like turning off a light switch. You see that all that brain activity just calmed down. Mm. So after tapping, the person has the memory, but they no longer have the emotional tag. Like one young veteran I worked with had served four tours of duty in Iraq and had just terrible PTSD. He served as a medic in Iraq and he'd had, he'd, he'd seen people blown up. He'd had to assemble. I mean, one, you know, one, one, one of the memories he had, he said, well, let's get a body bag. And they said to him, there is no body to put in the bag. I mean, they're just, just horrendous traumatic <sighs> memories came back with high levels of PTSD. And um, I worked with him on one time when he had to clean clean the uniform of a friend of his who'd been killed in combat. And so he was having to clean this these body fluids off this uniform um, of this, this friend of his who died. And just, again, just terrible PTSD from these experiences. And then we worked with him using EFT. And within about 20 minutes, he was emotionally neutral around the body fluids and around the uniform. He just, all that, 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 that emotional triggering went away. And then I had occasion to work with him again about a month later. And I asked him about his experience again with that, that 
that that that scene in his memory, and he still rem remembered every detail of that scene. But now in his mind, it was an act of love, an act of service, an act of compassion, cleaning the uniform. He no longer had all that emotional negative tagging around that memory. So that's what EFT does. EFT simply removes the emotional component of those traumatic memories, and you see that reflected in brain activity. That's just a very simple picture of what EFT does in the that's body. A, yeah, that's fascinating. How often do you need to tap? Is it like a seven day thing, a 21 day thing every day? Depends on the, on the issue. You typically will work on one event at a time. Mm. And if you work with a practitioner, they'll guide you through the minute details of the event. And so you can work on some things and find that you'll very, very quickly shift them yourself. But we find that long-term patterns, for example, somebody who has a, a fractured history with money, they make money, they lose money, they make more money, they lose more money. They've got something going on here that they can't quite get to. Another example is weight. We find a lot, a lot of people who are tapping for weight have hidden subconscious sabotaging beliefs. And so uh, simple things you can tap on yourself and you can usually work through a lot of your memories alone. But we find that people who are stuck, whether it's to do with a health issue, whether it's to do with weight loss, money, relationships, they need the help of a practitioner. So some things, some events, you think about them, you tap on them and miraculously one time, all of the emotional tagging is gone. Other things you need to have, sit down with a practitioner do some Zoom sessions, do some Skype sessions, do some intense, maybe in-person sessions, go to a retreat, take a workshop and work on those deeper patterns uh, with, a, with an expert to help you through. That makes a lot of sense. Like, cause I know that there's, you know, there's YouTube videos, right? Where you can just get on YouTube and you can find a video that show you how to tap. But I, I can see how, if you have these deeper issues, a YouTube video is not going to cut it likely for you. <laughs> yeah. I can see all that. How is EFT and meditation, how are they similar as to what they do to our brains? They have similar calming effects. And the critical thing that you have to learn to do to be happy is you have to regulate your emotions. So in, in Bliss Brain, in chapter four, I talk about the four key elements, the four key circuits in the Enlightenment Network. When we study monks and or nuns, say Franciscan nuns who spent 25 years in the states of mystical union with something beyond themselves, um, these brain regions are all highly active in these adepts. And so there are four components, four circuits within the Enlightenment Network. And the first one we train people to activate is called the Emotion Regulation Network. Because if you can't regulate your emotions, if you're reactive, if you're getting upset easily, if you're stimulated to be angry or resentful or guilty or ashamed or blaming fast, it's very, very hard to have anything in your life going well because you you're keep on reacting. So we, try, we train people to activate the emotion regulation network and regulate those negative emotions. And both EFT and meditation do that. Now meditation does that as a baseline practice. And that means you do it every day and you set aside maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes of your day and you really focus on doing this thing, the structured thing called meditation. And by doing that, you are having a 
huge number of downstream benefits. You're putting yourself in flow. That state and the benefits of that state, according to a series of wonderful studies done by a researcher called Teresa Amabile at Harvard, shows that you put yourself in that state, it persists for around 48 hours. So you're gonna have a better day and a better tomorrow just by doing the meditation. Mm -hmm. So you do that as a baseline, but then you do that in the morning, you then take the kids to school, you then start your work day, things happen. Somebody says, sends you a snarky email, you read a news story that bothers you, your supervisor says something, your team member says something that triggers you. You then get annoyed or emotional, emotionally aroused. At that point, you need EFT. You need to get back to that emotional baseline really quickly. So EFT is just a two minute routine that puts you back there quickly. Meditation is that baseline that sets up emotional regulation for your whole day. EFT is what returns you to emotional neutrality once you've been knocked off the baseline. That makes a lot of sense of how they even work together and how we can use these together. And I like how you touched on that meditation can help with these reactive emotions. And what comes up a lot on this show is childhood and how so many parts of adulthood is that inner child healing and reconnecting to our inner child and uh, even unlearning things. So what do you believe would happen if more children were exposed to the healing modalities such as EFT and meditation? I think we'd have a very different world. I think we are having a very different world because if you look at the data at the end of Bliss Brain, some of the studies that I talk about there is there are 14 times the number of meditators in the US today as there were in 1980. Mm. And so meditation roughly quadruple in popularity between 1980 and 2004, it grew 14-fold between then and last year. So we've had this enormous wow. explosion of it. And the number of children children meditating has gone about five-fold in that time. So meditation has been catching on in classrooms. Simple stress reduction techniques have been catching on. Also EFT is in a lot of classrooms. And so what kids need is they need tools, stress reduction tools to navigate the challenges they'll face in their social environments, in the academic environment, in tests, in the kinds of demands they face, in the challenges of growing. So just to start on the first day of school, that first day of school, maybe you're looking forward to it, maybe it goes great, maybe it doesn't. If it doesn't, you need the ability to release any kind of negative ex experience you've had. So in my book, The EFT Manual, we talk about the daily releasing routine for children. At the end of each day, just if you have a five-year-old, a nine-year-old, just do a little bit of tapping because kids respond really quickly to that. So mm -hmm. it can help kids with those adverse events during their days. Then they get get older. They have to transition from one class to another. Maybe some of their friends move away and they have to make new friends. Maybe they're trying out for a team. They feel nervous. Maybe they get turned down, rejected, and they, they aren't allowed to join. Say they don't make the basketball team or the baseball team, and then they feel bad and need to release that stress. Then they're having tests, and those tests can be time of high anxiety for kids. In one study I was involved with, they looked, the researchers looked at the level of, um, of high school high schoolers going to university in Turkey, in the country of Turkey, they found that they had higher levels of anxiety than patients preparing for surgery. Super wow. high anxiety in these kids writing these exams. And those kids needed 
tapping. So all the way through your career, social anxiety, social anxiety is crippling for many kids in junior high and high. If you have tapping, you can quickly let go of all of that stress and move on. We also find research shows us that it helps children who are slow learners, who are gifted, who are gifted learners. Mm. We find it helps kids um, deal with all of the challenges, navigate those challenges very, very quickly. And then finally, the very sad case of children who are abused. In one study I was involved with, we looked at uh, boys in a group home in, in Lima, Peru. And um, they'd been taken to this group home, removed from their families because they were being abused at home. And we had, it was a randomized controlled trial. We had some of them who got EFT, others who didn't. And those who got EFT recovered extremely quickly and dropped below the threshold for PTSD. So even for kids who are really in, in trouble, EFT can help. So EFT should be part. Other forms of stress reduction, meditation, EFT, these should all be part of the fabric of what we teach people because when they have that tool, suddenly they reach adulthood and they don't have this backlog of stress. One woman walked into a four-day workshop I was teaching a few years back and said, can, can you help me? I'm really grieving the loss of my husband and I, I feel as I'm immobilized by grief, my life can't go on. And I said, I'm, I'm, you know, we'll, we'll do our best. We'll, we'll work with you during the workshop. But I asked her a crucial question. I said to her, how long ago did your husband die? And she said, 11 years ago. And I knew wow. just like that, Lauren, this had nothing to do with her husband's death. Her husband's death 11 years ago was the trigger that mm. the basic pattern of grief was unmourned losses from her childhood. And unless we are able to release all of that stuff, we keep on holding that heavy burden of grief, grief into our adult lives and then triggered by our adult losses. So we, unless we go and heal our childhood, we're never easily able to regain our full potential. So those childhood experiences are gonna cost a long shadow unless we use EFT and release all that emotional baggage. When we store that negative energy within us because of you know past trauma, where within our body is that being stored? Because I've heard of some people say, you know, that you're going through stress and then you'll have like an inflammation breakout, you know, like something happens to your body physically. So what happens within our body when we hold onto it and we don't heal properly or go through it properly? Well, we hold on to it and it, it winds up in our bodies as an adaptive mechanism. And this is not really well understood. Adaptive in biology means it helps you survive. Uh, maladaptive means it, it doesn't help you survive. And so um, in, when you're five and your brother is abusing you, you can't get away. Maybe your parents aren't listening or unsympathetic and you're just stuck there. You're five years old, you can't go anywhere. And so what, what, what children do to cope is that they dissociate. And dissociating means wrapping this in an amnesia cocoon and mm -hmm. burying it in your tissues. You just forget. And so you, you, you bury these, we, we call them in our four-day professional training, we call the, these trauma capsules. You bury these trauma capsules in your psyche, you bury them in your muscles, you bury them in your information field. And so many people wind up after a troubled childhood, everyone has a few of them. Some people have hundreds of them. And mm -hmm. so this is the act of dissociation, which is really 
helpful as a survival tool when you're five, when you're nine, when you're 12, to help you navigate a, a world you can't control. But the trouble is if you're still dissociating and you're 40 or you're 60 or you're 25, then you're stuck in this old childhood pattern. So what you have to do is you do bury these things and then we train you in EFT to go and start finding them. And that might be a pain in your body. It might be a medical symptom. It might be uh, an unexplained somatic unease. You might feel just a sense of unease in your body. And of course, when most people feel a pain, get a symptom, they go to the doctor and say, make it go away. Right. What we say in EFT workshops is the, the approach is to welcome these things, say, my beloved body, you're speaking to me. What is the message you have for me? And you listen to your body, you listen to the pain, you listen to the symptom and you tune in and that's a trauma capsule very likely speaking to you. You then open the trauma capsule, tap on it. EFT practitioners are trained to help you uh, safely open and unpack all that trauma. And then you release all of that trauma in the trauma capsule and you then move on. So um, we find people have all of these things in their bodies. One, one lady, for example, was in her late seventies. And at every one of my live workshops, we do them all virtually now, but they're, they're still live. One, one lady was in her late seventies and uh, I'm gonna use her real name because she signed a release to let us do this. And her mm -hmm. name was Betty. And she just, people just loved Betty in the workshop. because She's just a sweet person. And I asked for volunteers to work with somebody who had a purely physical issue. Every workshop I, I do this, I say, I want somebody who is just suffering from a pain or a symptom or a diagnosis that is 100% physical. There's no emotional component at all to this thing. And usually we have a few people raise their hands and tell us about um, something that has purely uh, physical origin. And in Betty's case, it was uh, a pain in her left biceps muscle. And she'd had it ever since a surgery, like a rotator cuff surgery she'd had a few years before. The, the pain began right after the surgery and was clearly in her mind due only to the physical surgery. And so she had this physical thing, diagnosis, uh, a starting point that was really clearly defined, linked to a physical event, and we began to work on it, but look at the emotions. And we found so much buried emotion there. Eventually we tapped, tapped through it in about 20 minutes and the pain after all those years was gone. Really? <laughs> it was trauma capsule. We opened the trauma capsule and we, we unpacked it, tapped on all those things and the pain went down to a zero. So we find that even what we think of as the most physical of symptoms often has emotional roots and it's linked to those trauma capsules. Interesting. How does like energy healing and tapping, do they have like similar properties or, cause I, I feel like Reiki kind of, you know, like energy healing of that sort and, and EFT sounds similar in my brain. Am I, am I misconstruing that? <laughs> EFT is really mechanical. You can take somebody who knows nothing about uh, healing, who doesn't, doesn't believe in any kind of alternative medicine. And if they tap, they're likely to get a very similar result. Okay. So it's mechanically, mechanical stimulation of the body. What happens is that this sends signals through those acupuncture meridians and it calms the emotional midbrain. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't take a lot of skill. The, the basic routine is very, very, very uh, just like 
paint by numbers, A, B, C, D, E, F. You just do, it's called a basic recipe, like baking a cake. You throw in the eggs, throw in the sugar, throw in the flour, get the butter in, the, in those correct ratios and the cake turns out okay. So EFT is very mechanical. It's not, it's not a skillful technique. Now, at, at its, um, when it's practiced by, by a qualified certified practitioner, there's a ton of nuance to it, but the basic tapping routine is, is this one everyone should know. And it's just, it's just stimulation of those acupuncture meridians. Interesting. I, oh my goodness. I could just learn about this all day. In fact, like right before our conversation, I ordered bliss brain. So now I feel like we need to go ahead and go into this because 2020 has just been a year that many have struggled with. There's been isolation a rise of de- depression. I feel as a lot of people are having to really face surrender and release, but also to embrace the flow. And your new book, Bliss Brain, demonstrates that flow state rapidly remodels the brain for happiness. So let's talk more about the flow state and how we tap into it. So what is the flow state exactly? Flow can be measured in various dimensions. And perhaps the simplest one is the subject of one. And when I say subject, I mean how you feel. So objective is I hook you up to an MRI or an EEG, or I give you a gene chip analysis, or I give you a hormone assay. Now I'm getting objective biological data on you, but subjective data is how do you feel? And so the flow state in terms of subjective experience is feeling a sense of ease, oneness, and optimal performance. When you're just in that space of everything moving easily, everything seems easy outside of you and inside of you, that's flow. And typically athletes experience flow, musicians experience flow, scientists who are making discoveries experience flow, people who are performers, artists, and other uh, people in the form of space, they often will describe getting to this magical state where they forget all about time and space and they're right in the zone. So it's being in the zone. And there are two ways into the zone. One is meditation. The second one is doing things that stimulate that. They're flow primers. They're ways of priming the brain for flow. I know one for me is mountain biking. I love Mm. mountain biking. And I get out there on my mountain bike, I'm in flow. I get out there on my paddleboard, I'm in flow. And that, you know, maybe for you it's sewing, maybe for you, you're brought into a sense of flow by playing the piano, whatever it might be. We all have some way of getting in there. And then for most people, it's, it's a very occasional state. They, they're, they're, they're looking at a beautiful sunset and suddenly they're in flow for a few minutes. You want, what you wanna do is you wanna be deliberately inducing flow every day. And so <clears throat> we have a meditative practice, which I developed over the years, which puts people in flow in that 40 second, seven second timeframe. So it may take five minutes, but basically you're there very, very fast. And then the whole rest of your meditation, you're meditating in that flow state. So flow is the state of optimal human performance. Interesting. And that makes so much more sense too, of just that there's two different compartments of it too. Is there a way that we can mindfully take steps every day to just ev- to elevate, I would say, our emotional state? Absolutely. And you want to do that early in the morning. And when you do that, you start to hit these elevated emotional states regularly. So now, for example, you're doing it five days in a row and you start to actually habituate your body 
to that state. In Bliss Brain, chapter five is called the Bliss Molecule. And in those states, our brains produce five, seven neurochemicals. And these are the most pleasurable neurochemicals known to science. They're neurochemicals like serotonin, which is your satisfaction molecule. When you have a sense of satisfaction, ah, all is well, that's serotonin. Mm. We produce more dopamine and dopamine is our motivational molecule. So motivation is good. We need dopamine to motivate ourselves, but dopamine is highly active in cravings, like cravings for cocaine, for heroin, for chocolate, for alcohol, all these things activate the dopamine system. And so you, you want that system active, but engaged not in a reward, reward like heroin or cocaine, you want it engaged in the, the actual experience of flooding your own brain with dopamine. And in the correct forms of meditation that do this, you literally produce a surge in dopamine in your brain. So you're producing all of these neurochemicals in your brain, and now you're motivated to flow. You're moving into flow, and you can do it every day. And then again, the effects persist throughout your day. The other way we measure the state objectively is with EEGs. And we hook people up to EEGs, we measure their brain waves. And so there's a characteristic brainwave state of people in flow. And we call that the awakened mind pattern. Mm. And there's a certain ratio of theta waves to delta waves to beta waves to gamma waves. So we have all these waves in the brain in a certain ratio. And that means you're in flow. So it's both a subjective state of feeling good and that objective state we can measure and it's one in which you feel great and then you want to you want to frame your day by initiating flow first thing in the morning so that's our recommendation is get into that flow really early on in bliss brain we also give you eight meditations that put you in flow in that usually in, in four minutes or less so we recommend you start your day that way and then that again becomes the the lens through which you're then perceiving and experiencing everything else in the day. That is fascinating. I am so blown away by this. And I also think it's interesting too, is while we're living our days, you know, maybe not you because you're a researcher on this, but for me <laughs> every day, when you wake up, you're not always thinking about what's going on in your body what's happening in your brain, you know, what chemical reactions are going off and to just hear it be broken down as to how different, how meditation even can just so rapidly change the chemicals reaction within your body. It just fascinates me. Yeah. And what is so cool is that these chemicals and these brain waves, if you experience them and induce them every day for say half an hour is neural plasticity kicks in. And now you're firing those neural pathways, you're experiencing those neurochemicals in your brain. And when you do that often enough for long enough, neural plasticity kicks in. And now you're turning those states into neural pathways, which become traits. So you're no longer experiencing happiness. You are a fundamentally happy human being. You've turned the state, the transient state of happiness by practicing it day after day after day, you've turned it into a long-term trait of simply being happy. And so that's what you, you want to do. And um, in Bliss Brain, I also, I don't talk a lot about myself and my other books, but in Bliss Brain, the publisher said, write one chapter 
about your story because part of the book is focused on post-traumatic growth, how after a trauma, the brain can actually become more resilient rather than less resilient. Mm. So trauma makes about a third of people, serious life trauma brings on PTSD in about a third of people. And in the other two thirds of people, it actually doesn't and often stimulates them to post-traumatic growth. So the publisher said, share your story about this. And so chapter one of Bliss Brain is all about um, a, an experience I had three years ago when in the middle of the night, my wife shook me awake and said, Dawson, something's really wrong. I looked at the alarm clock, it said 12.45 a.m. I looked out the window, there was a glow on the horizon. I walked outside, all the lights went dead in the property, in the whole neighborhood, and there was a wildfire racing down the opposite hillside toward our home. Oh my I yelled at my wife, we're getting out of here right now. We literally ran through the house, threw on some clothes, grabbed the car keys, sprinted for the car, and drove out as the flames were engulfing the whole area. And so we, we survived. A lot of our neighbors, unfortunately, did not. But we were able to escape the fire. And we spent a few days and even a few weeks really disoriented. And we had a lot of other bad things happen that in the subsequent year. Uh, so we had a big financial crash. We had a big, I had a medical emergency. I had to have surgery. We had all kinds of, of stuff going on. And yet we found ourselves handling this challenge of having our office destroyed by the fire and our home destroyed by the fire and everything we lost and all the, the, the dislocation we experienced. We wound up feeling, I mean, we, we certainly were impacted by it in all kinds of ways emotionally, but we realized we were resilient. Within two or three days of the fire, we were looking back at some of the, the stuff we'd lost in, in the fire and realizing, you know, we didn't really like that cabinet much mm -hmm. anyway. We're, we're, we're glad we'll have a chance to replace it. We also had been wanting to move to a different city for three or four years, but we were kind of stuck because our big property with the office building and the house and all these outbuildings, it was so perfect for our lifestyle. We couldn't extricate ourselves from the property and suddenly we were out free, mm -hmm. able to choose to live where we really wanted to live anyway. So we began to rebuild in the, in, the, in the next year or two in a way which really matched our current dreams. And so we tell the story in chapter one as a story of resilience. And then we move on to the brain stuff after that. But we, we ourselves really experienced the power of these techniques in that year after the fire. Wow. Oh my goodness. What a... What a crazy, I assume this was California wildfires. Yeah. Is that, yeah, is that correct? California. My goodness. And, and I just can imagine just being able to kind of take yourself back and, and take a bigger look over the scenario. A lot of people would be stuck in that. I don't, I would say like almost that woe is me, right? Like you're just so down that you can't remove yourself from it and say, you know, I didn't really like that cabinet anyway, but since it's something that you practice all the time, it seems like it was just like a very easy ebb and flow for you. Yeah. And so we want people to learn resilience. The subtitle of the book is The Neuroscience of Remodeling Your Brain for Resilience, Creativity, and Joy. And I picked those three characteristics because when you have an emotional regulation circuit that is highly developed, then you're more resilient. In chapter one of my earlier book, Mind to Matter, and later on in, in this book too, I recap the story of uh, a TV 
host called Graham Phillips, who learned about meditation and wanted to try it. And because he was a TV host, he actually filmed his whole journey of learning meditation. So he took his crew into an advanced university lab and with the neuroscientists there got a complete workup of his brain and his body. And they used a high resolution MRI to minutely map every single region of his brain. And so they knew exactly the dimensions and the volume of neural tissue in each key part of his brain. And after that, he embarked on his meditation and mindfulness course, took him eight weeks. And for eight weeks, he was practicing these, these techniques. Within two weeks, he felt better. He began to feel a lot less stressed. He became a nicer person to those around him. And then after eight weeks, he went back into the lab and they measured every single little detail of his brain a second time. And they found that parts of his brain had actually grown in only eight weeks by wow. two or three or 4%. That's a lot of brain growth in just you know eight weeks. But the part of his brain that had grown the most was a little narrow sliver of tissue in the center of the brain called the dentate gyrus. And mm. its job is to regulate emotion among different brain regions. So it's like this orchestra conductor of all these different brain regions helping us, us to deal with negative emotion. In eight weeks, his dentate gyrus in his brain, that volume of neural tissue grew by 22.8%. Whoa! That, you know, almost a quarter bigger in the ability to regulate negative emotion in only eight weeks. So what people don't realize, and I really want, I mean, this brain, I'm really trying to show you clearly, you are growing your brain with every single thought, positive, negative, kind, angry, altruistic, people think that they'll, oh, I'm just gonna think this negative thought, no big deal. It is a huge big deal. You you keep on thinking that negative thought, activating that, that neural pathway over and over and over again. And if it's a pathway of resentment or blame or shame or criticism or doubt, you just make that pathway bigger. And if you're instead practicing altruism, like right now, um, as we speak after this, the, the, it'll, be, it'll be a little bit after the election. And so right now in my meditations every day, I, I'm triggered by, by one guy. And this one guy is a congressman from Louisiana. And he talked about shooting Black Lives Matter protesters. Uh. And he's a, a, when I read that story, I just, I was so appalled when I read the story of his comments about shooting Black Lives Matter protesters. And so I realized, he is my teacher. I need to think about him every day in meditation because I, I do not yet feel compassion for this man. I will not stop focusing on him in meditation until I can sit and hold him in nothing but compassion. So when you're building up your circuits of love and altruism and kindness and and gratitude every day, if you're firing those circuits and they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger to where you can love the guy who says, I'm gonna take my semi-automatic rifle and shoot Black Lives Matter protesters and is in Congress. <laughs> yeah, like what? Like, and, and a whole bunch of, of, of Louisianans who think his, he makes a fine representative for them, bless their hearts. So when you can think about this and then just say, nothing but compassion. I'm not there yet. I mean, I, I, I'm dealing with the same stuff as everyone else is dealing with. Right. And so we, we, we have to activate those circuits over and over and over and over and over again. But when you do, 
suddenly you're remodeling your brain, your dante gyrus is growing, you're activating the enlightenment circuit, and you start to get super happy, Lauren. I mean, in the year after the fire, I had a huge financial crash. We lost all our savings, all our retirement accounts after the fire because mm -hmm. it just consumed our, our business and our, our lives financially. We lost um, all kinds of other things. And yet that, that, that was the year I, I wrote Bliss Brain because there I was meditating, wow. tapping, teaching, and really realizing these are such potent techniques. They're, 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 they make you resilient in the face of the worst disasters you can imagine. I want this for people so much for them to realize that we don't just have to settle for being okay and being moderately happy. We can literally live through disaster and stay in ecstasy. Which is so important. And I love that this is part of your mission because I feel, especially in America, like it's the American dream, right? To, to be happy and prosperous and abundant. But then you're also given all of these like little jabs throughout life that are blocks or myths. Like one that comes up a lot is like money doesn't grow on trees, right? Like all these like little things that poke and prod at you that you're not even conscious of, but I like I would like to just rewind one second and go back to that that congressman that you talked about a representative because how do you hold someone in compassion when you so blatantly disagree with the fundamentals that they're projecting onto the world Well I meditate every morning and I focus on gratitude and I focus on forgiveness and I focus on my inner state and on hitting that flow state. And some days it takes me, you know, 30 seconds, some days it takes me five minutes, but I, I move into that flow state as part of my morning. And one of the things in Bliss Brain, I look at over 400 studies and Bliss Brain is a rigorous science book, but it also has all kinds of stories in it. People who've healed themselves of different diseases, people who've had various kinds of mental breakthroughs about work. I mean, the, the data, and we, we don't have time to go into that now, but the data on how much better you get at your performance, at problem-solving ability, at creativity, you get exponentially better at all that. But, but so, so you want to have the practice for that reason, but I, so I, you want to frame your day and begin your day and make that the tone of your day initially, start your day that, that way. And so you're waking up, you're a little bit drowsy. That's when you're in an alpha brain state, you then trigger meditation that is going to then set you up to have increased slow brain waves of theta and delta. You're in that, that, that dreamy alpha state. And then anything that disturbs you if you if you hold that in compassion it's powerful and in the research in this brain i look at what triggers positive neurogenesis fastest and this is a very rigorous kind of criterion to apply so okay so we know meditation changes the brain but some styles of meditation honestly are going to take you 10,000 hours, which you don't have. So yeah. you don't want to use those. Those. I mean, we, we are Tibetan monks able to take, go on three-year, three-month, three-day retreats, which they, they go on. We can't do that in the Western world. So I focused on what allows you to trigger positive neurogenesis quickest. And there are several different factors that do that, which I cover in the book. But one of those, actually the number one one, is compassion. Research into people who are compassionate shows that it triggers the growth of neurons 
in that enlightenment circuit quicker than any other style of meditation. So you definitely want to trigger compassion and with it, the other positive emotions. You wanna really feel those and you wanna feel those intensely. Like when we read the stories of St. Teresa of Avila, she talks about passionate marriage with God. Rumi and Hafiz talk about the divine beloved like they were talking about a lover. St. Francis, you look at his, his trances, he would pass out in these ecstatic states of bliss. Uh, Ramakrishna, the great Indian saint in the last century, uh, 1800s, he would, he would literally freeze in samadhi for days on end, just in these blissful states. How do you get that happy? And with science now, with, with, with MRIs, with EEGs, we've learned to put these kinds of people like Tibetan monks, Franciscan nuns in MRIs, learn what they do, and then train people to do that as well. And so compassion is what moves the needle quicker than anything else. And that means just tuning into that guy who says, I'm, I'm gonna shoot Black Lives Matter protesters. And you just say, are you able to make me not love you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the answer is for the time being i have to confess with it i'm telling you lauren i i cannot say i love him but i yeah. have fun on focusing on compassion so i can say i love him as much as, as i as i love any other great leader spiritual teacher right well i'll follow up with you and <laughs> and i'll see where you're at on that but i'm gonna shoot my shot with this next question are you ready Go for it. Are, what are you researching next? Can you drop us any hints or information? The last chapter of Bliss Brain is gonna, it is so counterintuitive that I had to throw a ton of data at people so that they would believe it. And the last chapter of Bliss Brain looks at human flourishing over the last mostly the last century. Just for example, female illiteracy has dropped by more than half in the last 40 years. In the last, since 1980, the average global citizen is three times as wealthy as he or she was in 1980. Um, our, our carbon emissions per capita in the Western world have dropped by one half since 1990. Um, our metrics like infant mortality have improved. And so there are all these examples of, of human flourishing, that human beings are flourishing today like they've never flourished before. Now, you would never guess this by, by looking at the news. No. It's <laughs> only focused on stuff that'll trigger us emotionally in a negative way. But what I'm doing more and more, so this brain is like, the, the end of this frame is like the preview of what I want to, where I want to go next, because I think we're in the middle of this uh, roughly 500 year cycle in which we're changing as a human culture. And now in this decade, dramatically, and I'm gonna argue for the evidence that our brains are changing as well along with us. We're literally evolving our brains in real time. I mentioned Graham Phillips, this, this TV guy, changing his dentate gyrus 22.8% in eight weeks. A giraffe can't do that. Yeah. A dog can't do that. A horse can't do that. A snake can't do that. A mouse can't do that. No, no other creature 
is capable of changing its own brain. I mean, mm -hmm. the evolutionary implications of a species within eight weeks changing its brain anatomy are so staggering that science hasn't even begun to grapple with this question yet. So I'm, I'm gonna go there for the next book. For right now, I'm focused on selling the, the first million copies of Bliss Brain. Love it. <laughs> I love That's it. My current modest goal and, bring, and, and inspiring a million people to, to aspire to Bliss Brain. I, I wanna really inspire that million people to meditate, to love themselves enough to, to learn these things and improve their lives. After that though, I'm gonna take a, another year and work on that that big picture book and explain where we're going as a species. Oh, I, I think this is so amazing. And I'm so fascinated first to, to read Bliss Brain because I ordered it. So you're you're one step closer to a million. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then to also check out your next one because I can even say as a mom, my kids are four years apart. And uh, my daughter was was born. I was in college when she was born. So I was a very different mom than where I was when my second daughter was born, but I had also began my healing journey with my second daughter. So I've even noticed how my second daughter, because I started things in her at a younger age, like on the way to preschool, uh, she was, she was very attached to me compared to my oldest daughter. She was that like, yeah, see ya, have a great day. You know, like just like go off to school. My youngest is, I want to stay with you. Like, I don't want to go anywhere. So we would do affirmations on the way to school. Like mm -hmm. I am fun. And I could see that. And then she began to meditate with me. And now she is like, this kid is six years old and knows the phases of the moon. Like she's like, Oh, it's almost a full moon guys. Like she'll just look up <laughs> because she's so tuned in. But I see how even her generation, like four years younger is so vastly different than even her sister. And I'm like, I know I had a big part of that, but also I can just see how the world is like nurturing and catering to mental health and neuroscience and healing modalities that really are helping us flourish. And you're, you are having this massive part in this. So thank you. Yeah, we're, we're all in this together and huge global problems like climate change are dramatizing for us that either we change, either we upgrade our hardware of our brains, or we, we go extinct. You know, we're facing these, these pretty radical choices, or maybe not go extinct, but certainly have a really much less pleasant existence in 50 years than we have now as a species. And so all of these crises are our catalyst to grow as a species. And I think we are. I think we're going we're to meet the challenges and evolve in a whole different, powerfully positive direction. So um, you're right, we'll, we'll see those changes. People with more compassionate brains will raise more compassionate children, who will have more compassionate brains, who will raise more compassionate children. And the cycle is, is going on. A hundred thousand years ago, a million years ago, the premium was on getting stressed. If mm. I could get stressed and run a little bit faster than the next guy, I survived. So the premium along all along the evolutionary pathway, four billion years on Earth, it's always been negative stress is really is the essential thing for survival. Now that is the very thing that most holds us back. And what propels us forward as individuals and as a species is being loving, being kind, being compassionate, being altruistic, being grateful. And so that's how we're shifting in response to today's challenges. And I, I just feel, I feel so hopeful, like I was with my, my two of my granddaughters today, 
this morning they were they were off school and so we hung up with them this morning and um i i look forward to getting on a plane with them in 2050 and there will be no security barriers there will be no metal detectors no one would dream of doing anything violent on a plane the world will change radically and it won't it won't take 100 years It's, it's it's happening now we're going to become a, a peaceful, we're going to become a loving, compassionate species in really short order. So um, I just see a, 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 a great new world ahead of us and one that's happening fast. You have provided so much hope in this. And I think this is exactly the message that people need it to hear. And that is a world I can get behind for sure. But I know after this conversation, our audience is going to want to dive deeper into these topics. Of course, check out your book and connect with you further, will you tell us where they can go to just learn more about you? Well, to get a copy of the book, go to blissbrain.com because the publisher has really been generous to us, give us a whole bunch of books at cost. So we're just giving the books away free right now uh, till those run out. And so you can get a free copy of, of Blissbrain at blissbrain.com. You just pay shipping and handling. And then what you also get is you get eight free meditations, which will take you to this brain. So there's one, for example, on activating the enlightenment circuit. There's another one on your first experience of bliss brain. And those eight meditations are really powerful. So blissbrain.com. And then you can check out things like a live workshop. I'm doing bliss brain workshops. I'm doing uh, professional trainings. We have a certification program. We certify hundreds of people every year in clinical EFT. They go up and, and, and have this new career as a healer. So there's a lot of positive stuff going on. And that first point is blissbrain.com. Oh my goodness, Dawson, you are doing such important work. It is truly life altering in the best possible way. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and light with me today. Well, thanks for sharing your light spirit and curious mind. I so appreciate that, Lauren. Thank you. Woo. How is that for some enlightenment? I ordered Bliss Brain and cannot wait to receive my copy Make sure you get your free copy too. I've linked Dawson's website and book link in this week's episode notes found on mindbizlife.com. If you found this episode helpful, I would love for you to give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you tune in and turn it up. I hope I'll see you live tomorrow, December 3rd at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Podbean app for the Body Love panel. And of course, I'm back on Friday for another episode of Fuel Your Life Friday. But until then, remember, every level of life is an opportunity to grow. Be well, my friend.